Well, my name's Tony Anderson. I'm the, uh, I get to serve as the pastor of counseling, the executive pastor here at Christian Family Chapel. And so I'm excited about being here today as Doug and Jackie get some time off. So uh, we're in a series called Walk In. But before we get there, have you ever heard the term, well, if you're going to walk the, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk? Or maybe something similar, put your money where your mouth is, that type of thing. Uh, well, I was trying to think of examples where someone literally did walk the walk after talking the talk. And unfortunately, all I could come up with was baseball analogies or stories. But in 1932 in the World Series, the New York Yankees were playing the Chicago Cubs. Believe it or not, the Cubs were in the World Series in 1932. But in uh, the, third, um, the fifth inning of the third game, Babe Ruth was at bat. He steps out of the batter's box and then points to center field as if to say, that's where the next pitch is going. Sure enough, next pitch, Ruth hits a home run into center field. He definitely walked the walk after at least uh, non-verbally talking the talk. But a more recent example, at least recent for me, maybe not for even the younger folks, but 1969, there was a brash young quarterback who from uh, Pennsylvania through the University of Alabama, known for wearing mink coats and actually wearing pantyhose in some commercials. Guy's name was Joe Namath, and his New York Jets were playing the heavily favored Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III. The Colts were an 18-point favorite. Now, if you follow NFL football, 18 points is huge, okay? But Namath predicted his Jets would beat the Baltimore Colts. And sure enough, they won by nine. That's a big swing. So they definitely were able, those two individuals were definitely able uh, to back up what they said. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see sort of a reversal uh, that rather than if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. We're going to see if you're going to walk the walk, you actually better talk the walk. Talk the walk. As we moved into chapter four, uh, as we start in this series, Walk In, Paul reminded us that therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. In other words, your life should be worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So if we're going to actually walk in a manner that reflects Jesus, that preserves unity, do you think our speech is important? Yeah, we need, our, we need to talk the walk, so to speak, because Proverbs reminds us death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our tongue has the ability to spit forth death or breathe life in the power of the tongue. James tells us, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. That last sentence is the biggest understatement, I think. I don't know about you, but I was truly blessed to be able to praise the Lord in our song today. And I, as I looked out and saw everyone lifting hands, praising the Lord, and then thought, but we can walk right out of here and then curse image bearers. Brother, that should not be. That should not be. So, um, according to this, can I tame my tongue? Can Dave McKee tame his tongue? Yes. 
Boy, they jumped on that quick, Dave. I'm sorry. But we're going to see today that we are commanded to control our tongue. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means for us to tame our tongue, it's going to be a supernatural work. It's, it's not something we can do in our own strength. It's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But it also means that God will enable us. He will never command us to do something that he doesn't also enable us. So although this should not be, we are going to be commanded to speak in a manner worthy of our calling, and he will enable us in order to do that. So last week, as Doug wrapped up his section, he laid out really, he went through and reviewed how Paul gave us the biblical model of change. He said, 22 through 24, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So just to recap, Paul's telling us for the new believers and for us, we have a personal responsibility. We need to identify. We need to think through what doesn't reflect Christ. And then we have another personal responsibility, not only to put that off, but to put on the new Christ-like behaviors. And he says what drives that is as we get renewed in the spirit of our minds, as we study the scripture and the spirit illuminates it, we start to think like Jesus. And as we think like Jesus, we'll act like Jesus. Let me give you a real brief physical example of a spiritual reality. And if you've taken our counseling training, I've shared this with you before. When I was in high school, I played baseball. And, and one year, very last week of school, I broke my arm. Back in those days, you had the big plaster cast that came over the knuckles. So in effect, for the whole summer, I laid aside my right hand. Well, I had to eat right? So I learned to eat left-handed, okay, for eight weeks. To this day, I eat left-handed. So I'm one of those guys, you go to lunch with me, you always got to figure out which side of the booth we're on because we're going to be bumping elbows. The other thing is I literally, I had to get dressed. To this day, I dress like a left-hander. Look at my belt, I feed it that way. You look at my shoelaces. I laid aside, I put on. But because I wasn't in school, I laid aside the right hand but I didn't have to write. So I never picked up the left hand. I write right-handed. I couldn't play sports, so I still throw and hit right-handed. That's what's happened. We can try to stop something, but if we don't take the responsibility to put on the God-pleasing behavior, when situations arise and life squeezes us, we're gonna go back to the old. So we have to put on the new. In our passage today, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ephesians 4. We're going to pick up in verse 25. And right after Paul goes through this, he starts giving specific examples of this model of change. And as we read through it the first time, you'll probably pick up on it, and then we'll break it down a little bit. But he goes through this model of progressive sanctification. Therefore, see, he's tying it together. I just told you, put off, put on, think differently. Therefore, Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need." 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So as we see through this sort of extended passage, Paul gives examples really of what to put off and put on in the area of communication and conflict and in the area of work. Doug's going to take work next week. So we're going to look at our communication and how it can be, we can use it to unify and resolve conflict. So we're going to see from this, from this past, we're going to see what we would call four commands, four rules of communication that will help us talk the walk. That if we practice these things, we, can, we will do our part to preserve the unity of the body. But as you'll notice, and you probably live this in real life, it will require that hard attitude of gentleness and humility. Probably right now, if you think through where you've blown it verbally, you would have to say, I wasn't humble, I wasn't gentle in those moments. So we have to recognize it will require humility and gentleness. So you have your outline there. We're going to break it down. And in each one of these rules, we're going to see what to put off. And we're going to identify it specifically so it's not just abstract. We're going to identify what to put on, but most importantly, what thinking needs to change, why we need to think differently. So the first rule of communication, we're going to keep it short, be honest. Be honest. We see from verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So as we look at this, what are we to put off according to this? We are to put off falsehood, laying aside falsehood. We are to put on speaking truth. Now, I think it's interesting. We are to put, the verb is speaking. So that we are to speak, and when we speak, it's to be truth. So guys, if you're one of those that say, I used all my words at work, I don't need to talk when I get home. Sorry, we are commanded to speak, but it's to be truthful when we do. And the reason is, for we are members of one another, one body. I think that's critical. If you think in your life when you have lied, withheld truth when you should speak or were deceptive, were you you focused or other focused? You focus. We usually lie to self-protect in some way. If we start thinking, wait a minute, we are members of one another, that's going to change the way I communicate. So let's talk about falsehood. What does it mean to put off falsehood? Well, I think we would all agree outright deceit, lying is wrong. We don't say it's red when it's blue. We don't say, hey, I'm working late when we're secretly going out with buddies after work. We don't tell our spouse it's fine when it's not. How's everything? It's fine <laughs> when it's not. Okay, we know that. So we, would, we think we, we would understand that. Maybe, maybe that is something you have to struggle with. It's like, you know what, I am, people might call me a liar. 
That may be how they know me. That's something we need to put off. But let's don't be too narrow. How about exaggeration or embellishment? Okay, we exaggerate or embellish. And many times that's because we're trying to manipulate the situation somehow, right? You're acting like a baby. That goes over well, right? But is it true? Are they wearing diapers? Can they not feed themselves? No. Or how about this hand grenade? You're acting like your mother, right? Okay. Unfortunately, Lisa and I have one from our own history that we're not very proud of, but we share. When our son was less than a year old, he was very colicky. And from 4 p.m. to about 5.30 or so, it's what we call the arsenic hour. And he was just constantly cranky. And so Lisa would put him in the snuggling and just bounce. You know, it's about the only thing that would calm him. And I would come home and literally Lisa would have sweat dripping down her face trying to calm him down. Well, I was at that point still in the law practice, a young lawyer. And so I would have difficult partners or difficult clients. And I'm thinking, I just want to go home and relax, watch sports center, whatever. And so the dance that we did was we would each describe how hard our day was. And we can make the other one believe our day was the hardest. Then we got the easier task that night, which typically meant in quiet, being able to do dishes or whatever, while the other one, you know, did the bathing or whatever. We were exaggerating or embellishing for selfish purposes rather than seeking to love the other. Yeah, that sounds like a fun place to come home to, right? So we got to be careful about that. So maybe you exaggerate or embellish. Maybe you try to say, well, I'm just using hyperbole. Is it truthful? And what's your motive for doing that? How about misrepresenting someone else or letting someone have a wrong opinion of someone because it serves you? All right. So I could say something like this. Uh, Matt, I don't care what Doug says. I think you're all right. Factually, what I just said was my opinion of Matt is independent of Doug's. And I have a good opinion of Matt. Is that what you heard? Or it's like, whoa, what's, what, what does Doug think about me? So there are times when we allow people to have to misrepresent a third person because it serves us. Maybe it builds our alliances or something. So we have to be careful about that. But I know... This isn't true of you guys, but do you use 100% words like always and never? I never do that. <laughs> Is always and never almost always a lie? Yeah, because yeah, it only takes one other time for it not to be true. And as I thought about it today, I think the only two individuals we could ever use 100% words with are God and Satan. Because God is always righteous, always good. Satan never is or he's always evil. But most of the time when we use 100% words, again, we're trying to create a narrative that's not true. And here's an important reason, it distracts from the issue at hand. Now, this, let's just say, I use this as a hypothetical, my, my son was here Thursday, so he always did a very good job with his chores, so this truly is a hypothetical. But let's say his job was to take the trash down to the street. And so one Tuesday night, I drive into the garage. The trash can is sitting there in the garage. I walk in and I say to my son, Aaron, you never take the trash down to the street. His likely response is, what are you talking about? I did it last week or the week before. 
we are now in a discussion about frequency and what happened in the past. And the problem is today, there's a trash can here that needs to be there. But when we do those always and nevers, we open up and we start talking about things that are not specific to the problem we're trying to discuss. So I didn't challenge you this week. Try to catch yourself using those 100% words and see if you can change that and say, you know what, that's wrong. Frequently, or that's an exaggeration. I wanna talk about the problem right now. But can we give the wrong impression non-verbally? You ever have tone or body language that doesn't match? Sure you do, right? So think about this. In premarital counseling, this is a word I, t- I tell uh, the men, take this word out of your vocabulary. It's a four-letter word, and it's the word fine, F-I-N-E. Because what happens if you're, you come home and maybe your wife, after working all day, has really worked hard, though, to find a new recipe and found things and cooks it, really excited to serve it. You come in, you don't acknowledge it, you eat it, and she's going, well, and you go, oh, it's fine. That'll blow up. But the word fine can mean different things depending on how we say it. So you could say, no, it's fine. Or my wife could come out on date night in a new outfit and I could go, oh, she looks mighty fine. Or today I'm thinking, all right, there's a one o'clock kickoff. There's a four o'clock kickoff. There's an eight o'clock kickoff. I'm ready to go. And she comes in and says, are you going to clean out the gutters that we've been talking about for a month? I go, fine, I'll do it. Did I really mean fine? No, I said it, but I clearly communicated something differently. So think about, you look at all that, that is falsehood that we need to put off if we are going to preserve unity. But we can't just put off, we have to put on. And so that means we have to make a commitment, a stake in the ground, I'm gonna be a truth teller. And it will require moral courage many times. I'm gonna be a truth teller. That will be what I'm known as. And so that means we have to speak the truth, truth continually. Not just 80% of the time. Yeah, 80% of the time I tell the truth. No, it's a commitment to speak the truth continually. And let me add this, comprehensively. I think we know sometimes what people are asking and we say things factually true, but we know we're not telling them what they're asking. All right? So let me ask, how many, how many here have had teenagers Okay, so let's say your teenager comes and says, I want to spend, I'm going to spend the night at a friend's house this Friday night. And you ask, are their parents going to be at home? To which your teenager says, yes. Now your teenager says, they're going to be home for the first 30 minutes. And then I know they're going out for the night, but they will be there. Is that what you ask them? Or do you want to know how long they're going to be there? So I think one of the ways that we can develop a character trait of truthfulness is speak it comprehensively. Ask them, did that answer your question? Maybe over-communicate until they say, no, no, that's enough. (laughs) But speak the truth comprehensively and to the appropriate person. Earlier in chapter four, we talked about speaking the truth in love. If you are communicating, particularly to solve a problem, you should speak truth to the person who's either part of the problem or part of the solution. And frequently, initially, that's one and the same person. 
right? You have a problem with a spouse, they could be the problem and the solution, right? You don't go talking to someone else about it first, right? If someone had a problem with the way our senior high youth program was operating, Jonathan Monks, our youth pastor, who should you talk to first? Jonathan. No, wait, you sure? Shouldn't I go to other parents first, gather my troops, and come together as a group to tackle this problem? No, you go to Jonathan first. Well, what if you don't get the response you need? Well, if you still think there's a problem, who do you think besides Jonathan could help solve the problem? Well, that would be Doug, his immediate supervisor. So we don't keep talking about it because telling factually true statements to people who aren't part of the problem or part of the solution is what? Gossip. And it doesn't preserve the unity of the body. It sows divisiveness. So we want to make sure we speak the truth to the appropriate person. Okay. So be honest. Easy way to remember it. What's our second rule? Keep current. Keep current. How do we get that from this passage? Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. All right. So as we look at that, put off sinful anger. I asked people on Thursday night, I realized that they thought I was setting them up. We're not putting off anger. We're putting off sinful anger or sinning in our anger. There is the ability to be righteously angry. I rarely am. Okay. I think most of us would say that's true, but the Bible says God is righteously angry. He's angry at the wicked every day. He's angry at sin. We could do a whole sermon on anger but I think a lot of times when we are in conflict and we are angry at someone, I like to ask that person, okay, you're angry at this person. Did they sin against you? In other words, whatever you're angry at, did Jesus have to die for it? Or did you just not get your way? Okay. So we have to put off sinful anger. Righteous anger would be, I'm angry at something for this, something God is angry at for the same reason God is angry at it, and then I use the energy to solve the problem in a way that honors God. My anger usually breaks down at one of those three steps. So we have to put off sinful anger and put on solving problems quickly. Do you see that in the passage? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So you wanna solve problems quickly. What's the thinking? Unresolved conflict gives the devil an opportunity he would not otherwise have to sow divisiveness. I know I probably exceeded the word limit on blanks. You know, you're saying, wait a minute, that's too long a blank. So I'll let you. Unresolved conflict gives the devil an opportunity he would not otherwise have to sow divisiveness. I don't know about you, but he doesn't need any more opportunities. Would you agree? Yeah. So what does this look like practically? Like I said, when we are angry, it does create a bodily response. We have adrenaline and God intends us to use that to solve the problem quickly and biblically. You know, God could 
make it so we never have conflict. But as brothers and sisters, conflict gives us a way to glorify God. We can look different in the way we solve conflict. So we're to use it quickly because biblical anger, someone said, is like apple cider. It's good for a while, but if you let it ferment, it gets pretty nasty. So we want to solve problems quickly. So why, why is it important? Well, um, off, it's not on here, but if you look at Hebrews 12, 15, and I'll read it for you. But Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. If we sit on our anger, we grow bitter. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I'm not hurting anybody if I just stew on it, if I just let it simmer. But the scripture says if a root of bitterness grows up in our heart, many are defiled. All right? If you've ever lived with a bitter person, you can probably give testimony to that. But another reason we have to be that are related to that is when we let bitterness grow, our hearts become callous and we become convinced of facts that may not be true. My brother Keith, sister over here, we're in family group together. So let's just suppose one Sunday at family group, when we're discussing the questions, I take offense at something he says. Maybe I thought he was correcting me or whatever, but I don't want to say anything. I just stew on it. I go, what? I can't believe he would call me out like that. Or, and so I don't say anything. And then maybe two weeks later, one of us misses. And so it's now a month. But in my mind, I've been rehearsing this all along. Maybe I told my wife, maybe I told someone else in the family group. I says, you know, I don't know if I can go. When I finally talked to Keith about it, maybe Keith says, hey, it looks like you're avoiding me. And I said, all right, fine. Six weeks ago, when you, and he says, he could, first of all, I could say, I don't even remember saying it by this point. Or he could say, no, that's actually not what I said. But in my mind, I'm convinced because I've had six weeks to replay it. You think that's going to hinder reconciliation if I wait that long? Because now we have to actually try to figure out what was actually said. But if we solve problems quickly, we can be, rec we can be reconciled. Maybe he does need to ask forgiveness. Maybe I need to ask forgiveness for judging his motive. But it's solved quickly. And Jesus warns us in Matthew 6, every day has its own set of problems. So why carry over today's to tomorrow? Right? You'll probably get a new problem today that when you woke up, you didn't see coming. It'd be great if you didn't have any from yesterday you still had to deal with. So we want to solve problems quickly. So what are some practical aspects of that? So as you look at the verse, don't let the sun go down in your anger. You could say, well, if my wife and I have a conflict at 930 and the sun's already down, does that mean I have until next sundown tomorrow? Or if it's five o'clock, am I now on a short fuse to resolve this? Well, the, the concept is you solve problems quickly. But I think there's great wisdom to lose some sleep rather than letting it carry over. And that's what we tried to put in place. So if we thought there was conflict that could be resolved, we would, we would lose some sleep in order to do it. And I'll tell you how it played out a couple of times. So the light over our bed it has a switch in the center. And so we can turn the light off. But if you've ever, have you ever turned the light off and from the other side of the bed heard, 
or worse yet. Now you could say, I'm going to pretend like I'm asleep. But what we did was turn the light on and go, okay, let's resolve this. And that's a lot better than waking up thinking we still have something heavy to deal with. So I would encourage you, solve problems quickly. Maybe it's someone that you don't live with. You have to call them on the phone, text them. Hey, can we talk before we go to sleep? If it's midnight, you might want to text first. There are times, though, I do believe that it may be wise you wait to the next day, maybe because of illness or really people are exhausted or you think, you know what, there's some emotion here. But I think it's wise. Say, look, we're not going to talk about it tonight, but we will talk about it at breakfast tomorrow, before we go to work, before we go to school. That way, everyone involved knows it's not going to hang out there. And for married couples, I think it's really important, uh, husbands, that you say, look, we will talk about it in the morning before, before I leave for work. That way, your wife's not there saying, do I bring it up? Am I a nag if I bring it up? You show leadership to say, look, it's not wise for us to talk about it tonight, but we will talk about it tomorrow. And then your wife knows, okay, this is going to be addressed. So we want to be honest. We want to keep current. What's our third one from this passage? Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Paul writes, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So as we look at that passage, what are we to put off? I think we would agree. We are to put off unwholesome words. We're going to need to define that in a minute, but I think it's easier to define unwholesome words when you see what the opposite is. We are to put on edifying words according to the need of the moment. And the renewed thinking, why do we need to do this? My words need to give grace to the hearer and not grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'll let you get your blanks in. We're to put off unwholesome words. We're to put on edifying words according to the need of the moment. And Paul says, my words, if I'm going to preserve unity, they need to give grace. And also, I don't want to grieve the person of the Holy Spirit that's within me. So when I was in third grade Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher would use this verse to say, don't use cuss words. And I would agree those are probably unwholesome words, but they're broader than that. If I'm to put on edifying words, words that build up in Christ's likeness, then unwholesome words would be critical words that tear down. Edifying words would be words that give grace. So that is a key concept. And I really had a light bulb moment once. So... What does it mean for words to give grace? Well, first of all, we're talking about a body of believers. We're already saved, so we really don't need saving grace. But do we need grace every day? 
Yes, we need God's enabling grace. If we're gonna live in authority under this word, we know we can't do it alone. We've already read a passage that says, I can't tame my tongue alone. I need grace every day. And so it says, my words are actually to give grace. So let me ask you, has anyone ever seen T-ball? Okay, when I grew up, we didn't have T-ball. But I coached my son, we played, he played T-ball on the way up. And in T-ball, if you're not familiar, the coach of the team that's at bat puts the ball on the tee, making it easier typically for his five-year-old or six-year-old to hit the ball, all right? That's fun to watch because many times they swing and miss or hit the tee further than the ball, but it's fun to watch. As they grow older though, what's gonna happen is a player from the other team will now start throwing the ball and trying to make it hard to hit. Fastballs, as they get older, curveballs, okay? The idea is not to make it easy. So I want you to think of it this way. When you're speaking, you wanna tee it up for whoever you're talking to. You wanna make it easier for them to reply back to you like Christ. That's a whole different agenda than winning the argument. All right, you wanna tee it up. So you're not responsible for their response. They may still swing and miss. They may still respond in anger. So if you tee it up once and they swing and miss, it does not mean, great, now I can throw this sucker at them. <laughs> we keep teeing it up. So, so give me some, let me, what does that look like? Let's say you are a parent and you have a child who is continually struggle with some particular area of sin, or maybe it's not even sin, maybe it's just a growing responsibility. Okay, you could say, I can't believe you did that again. What's wrong with you? Are you ever gonna get this right? Or, hey buddy, I see it struggling with that. When I was your age, it was hard for me too. How can I help you? Which one would make it easier for the other one for the child to respond like Jesus? First one or the last one? Right, the last one. But so many times we, in our anger or in our disappointment or in our perception that they've wronged us, we wanna win. And that happens a lot in our marital conflicts as well. Um, or we say, you know, we tried once and they came back even harder at me so all bets are off. We gotta to continue to tee it up. So I think some other ways, you know, the, the, it's attack the problem, not the person. One of the ways to tee it up is ask yourself, do you hear yourself saying you, you, you a lot in the conflict? Well, you, you, you're probably attacking the person and not the problem. Uh, an example from counseling once where husband worked late a lot the wife was trying to have dinner, a family dinner, a couple of times a week, but he would frequently miss dinner, either working late and then maybe didn't call. So in that situation, the wife could say, you are so inconsiderate. I work hard to get dinner on the table so we can have a family dinner together, but you seem to make work more important. You're never home. Or the approach could be, hey, you know what? Our family is really blessed when we have dinner together and when you can sit down with us. What can we, how can we work to make that happen more often? Which one gives grace? Which one tees it up? 
So to me, that is the, that personally, as I thought about it, okay, whatever conversation I'm getting ready to have, and this may be a shock to you, but sometimes as executive pastor, people come to me and they're not happy about something. <laughs> really, I, shocking. But I think through, okay, as I prepare for this conversation, I need to remember my words need to give grace. For me, that sometimes means I can't use my spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> um, but it does mean as, okay, I can't just ignore problems, all right? If someone's in sin, I do have to point out certain behavior sin, but I have to do it in a way that encourages repentance. So I want, I want to think through how can I tee it up? How can I give grace? Exit stage left for a minute. Shirley's afraid I hit her piano with the bat back there. All right, so that's the third one. What's our fourth rule? Oh, I meant to say this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spout folly. That's what we just, that's what I was trying to demonstrate with teeing it up. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable or attractive. So let me talk to you guys who have adult children. Is it a big difference? All of a sudden you go, I don't have authority over them anymore, but I can look at their lives. They're doing stupid stuff in my mind, right? right. But it's like, okay, one, I may be wrong, <laughs> okay? But two, I wanna make my knowledge attractive. I'm not gonna keep harping on them. I just want them to, I want to be able to speak to them in a way that when they need wisdom, when they want help, they know they can come and ask me. So maybe I say, hey, can I share some wisdom here? Ask permission. Again, we're all, with adult children, we're now brothers and sisters in Christ, so we can't ignore sin, but we can speak in a way that makes it attractive, makes it acceptable, or we can speak in a way that stirs up anger. So this, teeing it up really can help in those adult situations when those relationships have changed from parent-child to brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, fourth rule. Act, don't react. Act, don't react. Verses 31 and 32, Paul writes, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So what are we to put off? If you look at that list of words that we just talked about, these are reactive emotional words tied to the perceived failures of others. I know, long blank, but I'll give you time. Reactive emotional words tied to the perceived failure of others. And you think about when you speak in anger, when you speak uh, with wrath, bitterness, you are responding, you are not thinking. That is an emotional response. There was thinking behind it, but at the time you're letting, you're being driven by your emotions. 
and it's out of the perceived failures of others. I say perceived because they may have failed you or you may be wrong. You may not understand the situation correctly. But what the verse says is we are to put on proactive words of kindness and forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. And the renewed thinking is, as I have been forgiven by Christ, I should forgive. So I, as you think, maybe you can think through conversations that did not go well and think how in the moment, because maybe you didn't pray about it ahead of time. Maybe it was a spontaneous conversation you didn't see coming. But as you spend more time in the scripture, you're trying to grow in Christ's likeness. As you focus on your forgiveness, you start to think through, wait a minute. I don't know what's going on in the heart of the other person, but I'm gonna choose to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. I may still have to confront an issue, but this is going to be my response. And I love the way Doug says this, not being unkind is not the same as being kind. So we can say, I'm just going to hold my tongue. Okay. That's not being unkind, but kindness speaks. All right. How many of you have described, would have said, I experienced the kindness of a person and really it was just all, it was all in their speech. They spoke kindly, tenderhearted to me. A couple of definitions, I think, that I want to bring home. Because you see, how many of you normally use clamor and malice as part in your everyday conversation? Right? Clamor. It's a loud uproar, a vehement expression of desire or dissatisfaction. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to demand what I want or I'm going to make it clear I am dissatisfied with you. Malice is a desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another. It's an act with evil intent. So maybe after expressing that my dissatisfaction with you, my next words are intended to hurt. Intended to hurt. Sadly, we've seen these in marriages where one spouse will habitually display wrathful anger in words with the intent to harm, belittle, and express dissatisfaction with the other. Husbands, if that is you, and I know wives can do that, but I want to speak to husbands. If that is you, and you combine that most sometimes with your physical size and the position of authority you have, you are creating an atmosphere of oppression and affliction in the home, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop. We'll see in chapter five where it says, as husbands, we are to be Christ to the church. And this is not Christ. If that is you, I encourage you to get help. I'd encourage you to reach out to the Hope Center. That is not a marriage issue. That is not a situation, well, my wife would only do that. That's a heart issue. And we wanna come alongside and help you. And wives, if you live in such a situation, we wanna help you too. Don't suffer alone, okay? Reach out, reach out to a family group member, staff member, elder. We wanna come alongside you and help you any way you can, right? Because that does not reflect Christ. That's not kindness, tenderhearted, okay? So as we close, Matt and Jean are gonna come up 
and as, as they do, just look, let's look back at the four rules, and, and they're very easy to remember. You don't have to memorize the verses, but say we're going to be honest. What's next? Say them out loud with me. Keep current. Attack the problem, not the person, and act, don't react. If we do that, we will foster unity. And so I would challenge you this. Look at those four rules and say, which one do I have the most room to grow in this week? If you're not sure, ask the person sitting next to you. They'll tell you. And then make a commitment that my speech will be different, but it will require gentleness and humility. As, these, as they lead us, may this song be more than a song. May it be your prayer this morning. All right, why don't we stand together? And my life bring glory, glory to you. Let my life bring glory, glory to you. And let my life bring glory, glory to you, only to you. Words I speak. Let the step we take as we sing that every breath that we take would be for your honor and for your glory that our words be edifying not tearing down and lord we need you we're dependent on you to do that and we trust that you will work as we surrender we trust you'll give us everything we need to do that we thank you lord would you help us to go today in the power of your spirit your name amen so glad you're here have a good one